Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I've been preaching a series on end times and uh, when it's all said and done. And, and I wanted to pick back up on that. And I'm, I'm probably going to preach on that today and probably next Sunday. I'll, I'll probably wrap it up. I, I took a little break going on vacation. But Matthew chapter 24, I want you to look with me at verse 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, I'm just stop right there because I'm not going to preach on this text. I'm using is it a springboard, but there was an event that happened with uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, a man who invaded Israel and who slaughtered a pig in the temple. It was an abomination of desolation. He desecrated the temple. He was a type of the Antichrist. And Jesus is saying, in essence, that it will happen to some extent, some form or fashion again. He's talking about the end times. He said, when you see that happen in the temple, in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or in on the Sabbath. So something extraordinarily traumatic will be happening to the children of Israel, to the Jews. See the, see the prophetic element here. And I will be talking about that in a minute. This is the verse, verse 21, that grabs our attention. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time no nor shall ever be I want to preach this morning tribulation before the triumph you may be seated so I preached a few weeks ago about the rapture and the resurrection And you say, Pastor, you're sitting down again. Yeah, my knee's better, but I woke up this morning with my back locked up. (laughs) Everybody that's young, enjoy it. I I talked to one young person. They said, y'all don't encourage us very much about getting old. It's not for the faint of heart. So I'm sitting because my back is just locked up. I preached a few weeks ago on the rapture and the resurrection. The period between the rapture and the resurrection and then the event that is the second part of Jesus coming, part two, the parousia, the second coming of Jesus from heaven with us to set up the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign on this earth, the period between those two events on this earth is called the tribulation or the great tribulation. That's what I want to talk about today. See, in the Bible, the word tribulation is used with two separate meanings. There is the non-technical meaning, and that is tribulation is any type of suffering or testing endured by the child of God. It's usually persecution or a satanic attack. There is a promise in the Bible that Jesus gave. I don't like it, but it's for every generation of believers. It's been a promise for every generation for 2,000 years. It's in John 14, 6. In this world, you will have tribulation. Don't y'all love that promise? How many are going to claim that one? Whether you claim it or not, it's going to happen. But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So that's the first use of it. The second use is not a non-technical, but the technical, and here's a $12 word, eschatological meaning. Eschatology is a study of things dealing with the last days. So when I say eschatological, then thus a meaning dealing with the last days, applicable to the last days. So the technical eschatological meaning of the tribulation is that specific period of time, it's very important, 
when God, number one, restores his economy with Israel, and number two, pours out his wrath and judgment on this unrepentant, rebellious humanity. So I want to talk about that this morning. Now, I could preach and teach entire sermons and lessons on the things that I'm going to present to you today, but we can't stay here till 3 o'clock. So I'm going to give you the cliff notes of things, and just bear with me. I'm I'm going to give you just enough banana pudding to make you want more. Okay. First of all, how long is the tribulation? Biblical scholars feel very confident, and I do as well, that the the tribulation period will last seven years. And we learn this from the book of Daniel. Daniel had multiple visions, and in one vision, an angel came to him and told him that 70 weeks were determined for his people. Daniel was a Jew, thus 70 weeks for the Jewish people. Okay, still with me? And these weeks were weeks of years. So each week represented seven years. And then 77s would be 490 years. God graciously told, through the angel, told Daniel the events that would correlate with those years. And we can actually see these events in the Bible. So the first day of the first week of the 70 weeks occurs or starts in 445 BC with the commandment by Artaxerxes to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And this, and he was a a Persian king, this you can read about in Nehemiah chapter 2. That's in the Bible. So that's the beginning. And, And if you read Daniel uh, ch- chapter, I think it's seven, you can, you can read all, or chapter nine, you can read this. Now, the last week, or the last day, if you will, of the 69 weeks, we're going we're gonna to hold the 70th week because Daniel was shown through 69 weeks. The last day is, believe it or not, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Daniel gets revelation about the Messiah coming and being cut off. So that, from that time period... To Jesus Christ in A.D. 32, 445 to A.D. 32 is 69 weeks of years. I don't have the math, but 69 times 7, you multiply that, add it up, and it comes up to 445 B.C. to A.D. 32. That leaves one final week, and Daniel talks about this week in verses 26 and 27. What's interesting is the events of 26 and 27 haven't happened yet. And so I showed you a few weeks ago on the screen a picture of mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys, and that the prophet would stand on top of this mountain and look across the tops of the mountain ranges, and the Old Testament prophets could see certain things. Daniel could see the coming of the Messiah. Daniel could see the tribulation period. Daniel could see the Antichrist. Daniel could see uh, the kingdom of God of God, the kingdom of Christ. He could see these things. What he could not see is that there would be a 2,000 year gap between the 69th week and the 70th week called the church age. That's the valley that comes back up. So the seventh week has not occurred yet. And so you have the the 69th, uh, the gap is the church age. You also have a period of time, and I can't get into all this, called the times of the Gentiles. And so Jerusalem and Israel fell and was overtaken by Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And for approximately 2,000 years, it was under the control, the domain of Gentiles. Until 1948, when Israel became a nation, and, in, and, and then that time, the time of the Gentiles essentially ended, and now you have a, you have a country called Israel once again. So that has been fulfilled. We, the only other things yet is for the church age to be fulfilled, and I think we're coming quickly to a close. And when that happens, then Daniel's 70th week will begin. All right? So... You say, all right, pastor, I'm listening to you, but you still haven't made your case. 
how do you know that the 70th week is the tribulation? Because, and again, I cannot, I don't have the time to take you into all this. But if you will read Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, which describes the final week of the 70 weeks, it correlates directly with what we read about the tribulation in the book of Revelation. And that's how we know the tribulation will last seven years. Okay? So that's just kind of an introduction. Let me just go back and talk about the rapture and the resurrection and how it, how it kicks us into or kicks the world, not us, but the world into the tribulation. I am convinced that the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the righteous dead, us all going to heaven will throw this entire world into a state of immediate and absolute chaos. There will be worldwide social, political, economic, and military upheaval and pandemonium. But here's the part that is really interesting. Use your imagination. It won't take much. Spiritually, this world will fall instantly into the worst terrible state it has probably ever been other than the days of Noah. Right now, we are believers, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But when the rapture takes place and the resurrection, the light and the salt are gone. So salt preserves, light shines in the darkness. Darkness will take over and corruption will take over as well. And consequently, sin will dominate humanity. Again, I think it's going to be very much like it was in the days of Noah where the thoughts of men's hearts and minds were continually wicked and evil. And even though God is always in control, because of this particular period of time, Satan will be permitted to have full sway and he will truly be the God of this world and he will be in full control of the events which will be going on, at least with humanity on this planet. And under these conditions, the church is gone, the devil is having full sway, Sin is full bore, taking over the world like a cancer almost overnight. It is under these conditions that a person called the Antichrist will appear as a potential savior of mankind. You've probably heard about the Antichrist. Most people have heard about the Antichrist. We may not know much about it, but most people, even people not in church, have probably heard about the Antichrist. In the Bible, he's called the son of perdition. He's called the, law, the man of lawlessness. He's called the man of sin or the lawless one. The one that he's often referred to in the book of Revelation especially is the beast. He will be a world leader who will be totally evil and totally adversarial to God and the people of God. I personally believe that he'll be possessed by Satan himself. Now, I want to take you to some scriptures this morning, and I want to show you some things, just break some things down. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Daniel 7, verses 7 and 8. Daniel said, After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Now, he's, he's seen three beasts previously. Here's a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Okay? Um, let me, is verse 8 there? Yes, and I was considering the horns, and there was another horn. Notice this, a little one. Coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. So let me see if I can explain this to you. Daniel saw a vision of four beasts. Those beasts represented successive empires of the world, and you can read your world history and see this. The first beast represented the Babylonian Empire. The second beast represented the Medo-Persian Empire. The third beast represented the Greek Empire. And who followed the Greeks? The Romans. The fourth beast, and that's the one that we just read about. Dreadful and terrible, trampling everything under their feet. That's what Rome did. Rome trampled everybody that they attacked and took over the civilized world. He sees an image. You've got to remember, Daniel is living in the Babylonian and into the Persian so this is hundreds of years ahead, but Daniel is getting a vision of world events happening hundreds of years later. And so he sees this fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, but then he said, out of this fourth beast were ten horns. Ten horns. 
So there's something coming out of the Roman Empire. Now, earlier, Daniel had a vision of a statue that had a head of gold and a chest of silver and uh, a, a, a lower portion of the body was bronze, legs of iron, and then toes that were a mix of iron and clay. That vision as well was of the successive empires, Babylon, Persia, Greek, the legs of iron were Rome. But then there are ten toes of iron and clay mixed together. These ten horns and the ten toes are the same thing. There is an extension out of the Roman Empire that will be evident or in existence during the tribulation. Okay? Now, you say, Pastor, then who is that? Doesn't take much to see that. It's the European Union. Doesn't take much at all to figure that out. It's the European Union. Now, I'm just going to say some things to you today. And, and I'm, I, I, some of you, this is an interest. You don't, if you're not interested in this, get your phone out. It's the only time I'm going to give you. You can play solitaire or go to sleep. Hopefully today, this is fascinating to you. And if it's not interesting to you, I'm concerned about your soul, but we'll talk about that later. And I, I was just thinking in my lifetime, I'm 57. I'm going to pick a date. I'm going to pick a year, 1973. I'm going to pick 1973. In 1973, if you would have said there is going to be a federation of nations that will come out of the old Roman Empire in Europe that will form together in a union, I'd have told you you've lost your mind. Because the French and the Germans have fought each other in two world wars. Read your history book. Those people have fought each other. The, the Germans, the, the Austrians, the Ottoman Empire, all of it. Just put it, the, all that that we've read, all they've ever done is fight each other. And if you just said to me in 1973, the nations of Europe are going to join together and form a union and the Germans are going to give up the Dutch mark and the French are going to give up the franc and all the other nations are going to give up their national currency and adopt this new currency called a euro. I'd have said, you're crazy in 1973. And yet 50 years later, Read my Bible, I'd say, I don't know how in the world this could happen. You're telling me there are going to be a union of nations coming in Europe out of the old Roman, because that was the old Roman Empire. I'd say, you're crazy. Fifty years later, we're sitting here in church, and everybody in this room knows that Germany and Belgium and Spain and France and Italy, they've all joined together now for years. They're one of the most strongest economic forces in this world. The euro is stronger than the dollar. And you have all their combined military might in one federation of nations. Y'all, see, people want to question the Bible and say, it can't happen. Just give it time. In 1940, if you would have said Israel will become a nation and be involved in world affairs, people would have said to you, you're crazy. But in 1948, in one day, Israel became a nation. So those of us who are living and we see the news about Israel, and those of you who are younger, you're like, oh, yeah, they're there. There was a time when they weren't there. But see, God is in control. And God has, is working, and God knows the future, and God knows how everything is coming together. And the worst thing we can do is say it's not true or it hasn't happened yet. They've been talking about this for years. I'm not going to believe it. That's the worst thing you can do. Your job is to trust the word of God and leave it up to the Lord and say when God's good and ready, all this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Daniel then sees this little horn come out of the ten horns. And the pompous words, the eyes of a man, is clearly this, that represents the Antichrist. And I believe the Antichrist will come out of the European Union. Somebody asked me, he said, do you think the Antichrist is alive right now? He very well could be. Right now, the Antichrist could be alive and in the wings, waiting to step out. 
Now, I don't know who he is. People have tried to identify him. It, it may not be time yet, but I believe he could be in the wings right now. Daniel chapter 7, 8, and 9 reveals the sinister work of the Antichrist. He'll speak pompous and blasphemous words against God. He'll make a covenant with Israel for three and a half years. Then he'll break that covenant and actually make war against Israel. He'll operate with demonic powers, destroying people, deceiving people. He'll be opposed to everything that's good, everything that's godly. And what is amazing is people will be duped by him and even worship him as a god. There's this guy called the false prophet who works in tandem with the Antichrist and will actually set up a worldwide religion that worships the beast. We will have a man-centered worship system that will prevail on this planet. Let me take you to Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. So let's put that up. This is talking about the Antichrist. He causes all, all, everybody both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast and the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. What is God's number? Seven. What day was man created? Sixth day. Six. So let him, it's a number of a man. His number is six, six, six. Anybody ever heard of six, six, six? Anybody ever heard of the mark of the beast? Let's talk about it for a little bit. During the tribulation, if you want to buy or sell something, if you want to go buy some clothes at Belk's, if you want to go to the grocery store and buy some eggs and bacon and grits, and biscuits, and flour, and okra. I'm going to find a way to get okra in my message, aren't I? So you can fry it, that's right. If you want to do that, you have to receive a mark in your hand or your forehead, the mark of the beast. There is a code contained within the mark that is numerically based And the number that it's based on is the number 666. Now, if in 1973, if you would have said, all right, there's going to be a mark of the beast, this is the best people could come up with because I know a guy wrote a book on it. Do you all know what ISBN numbers are on your products? Do Do you know there was a time when there weren't ISBN numbers on packages? There actually was a, that's a new thing. There was a time when there was no barcode. You took it to the grocery store and the clerk had to keep turning looking for a price and punch it in. Took a whole lot longer to get your groceries paid for back then. Now you just swipe it through the scanner. Well, somebody said, man, there's going to be a mark of the beast. What's it going to be? The ISBN code had just come out. It must be that. That's the mark of the beast. And everybody's going to have the ISBN code tattooed on their hand or on their forehead. We're all going to walk around with a barcode tattooed on our head. And the the clerk's going to say, lean over. Scan your forehead. That's the best we could do in 1973. People are trying to figure out, how is this going to work? How is this going to happen? Now, I had a guy who was a computer whiz who said to me one time, that idea is brilliant. He said, it might be evil, but it's brilliant. I said, why? He said, you can steal cash. All you got to do is get one check from a person's checkbook. You can wipe out their checking account. He said, you can hack somebody's account, their computer. He said, but you can't steal somebody's forehead or hand. He said, it's brilliant. Now, what we know is today there is technology with computer chips. And some of you have had a computer chip implanted in your sweet little pet so that if they run off through GPS, they can find Fido when he decides to chase a deer halfway across Anderson County. Right? I have been told for years, this is far as I'm concerned, nobody's ever, I'm pretty solid about this, that if you are a soldier and you go into 
what is it, Fort Benning in Georgia? Is that right? I've, I have been told, somebody proved me wrong, I'll, I'll say it's wrong, but that they put implants in the soldiers for, for a lot of reasons. But one of them is if you get captured, they can find you with the computer chip. Now, whether or not that's true, that's what I've been told for years. I have seen the computer chips. I have seen the implant chips myself I, with my own eyes. I've seen them. I know a man who has one in a test tube, and I've seen them. And so it would be very easy to implant a computer chip in somebody's head or forehead. Nobody would ever know it's there. And you could have all, it could be run off the of body heat. All of your data connect, connect right there in a computer inside your body. So if you had cash, they'll say, I'm sorry, we don't take cash. Put your hand out. I don't have the chip. I'm sorry, you can't buy anything. It can happen. Now that is technologically feasible in this day and time. Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 through 11 tells us that whoever receives the mark of the beast will make total allegiance to the beast, to the Antichrist, and and will be in total rebellion against God. Now there are Christians who are terrified that they're going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. First of all, we're not in the tribulation I had people worried that the COVID vaccination shot was the mark of the beast. Really, there were some people, I said, no, it's not the mark of the beast. It's a vaccine. How do you know? Because we're not in the tribulation yet. Second, you can't accidentally take it. It will be an act of your will that says, shoot, yeah, give me that thing. I don't care about God. I love the Antichrist. Put it in there. You will, you will defy. You say, well, you say, well, I won't take it if I'm in the tribulation. You're going to have a hard time because you can't buy gas. You can't get oil to get in your house. You can't, you, they'll cut off your electricity. They'll cut off your water. You with me? It's going to be tough. If you take the mark of the beast, essentially you damn your soul to hell for all eternity. Now, while Satan is wreaking havoc throughout the world through the Antichrist and the false prophet and and this federation of, of nations, God will be pouring out his judgments on this earth for mankind's sin and rebellion. The, the book of Revelation shows this, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. And I'm just going to give you a sample. I'm not going to give you everything, but let me just tell you what will be happening on planet Earth while all that is happening, those other things I just preached. One-third of all the trees and all the grass will be burned up. The seas, the rivers, and the fountains will turn to blood. You'll turn on your faucet, and instead of water, blood will come out. One third part of the sun, the moon, and the stars will be darkened. People will be scorched by great fire and heat. The mother of all earthquakes will rock not just a region or a continent, but the entire world. The, The Bible says the islands, it will be so severe, the islands will sink into the ocean. So I don't think I'd want to be on in the Bahamas on vacation when that happens. Because they're all going to fall into the ocean. 100-pound-sized hail, 100 pounds, will fall from the sky on people, damaging and killing people. Here's the amazing part. If you read the book of Revelation, this is, to me, what is amazing. Then in spite of all of the judgments, and I'm only giving you a sample, all of the judgments that God is pouring out on this earth, sinners will not repent. But instead, they will shake their fist in the face of God and curse him and continue in their sins. I have said more in my life in the last five years than any other time in my life. I have said these words essentially. When God pours out his judgment on this earth during the tribulation, this world will fully deserve it. He said, now that sounds mean. Mm-mm, it's not mean. Do y'all live in the same world I live in? Transgenderism, drag shows for kids, 
homosexual marriages in America, Pride Month, adultery, fornication. It's common now that couples just move in together automatically. You used to not do that. But now they just move in together. Do you all work with people that are just mean and wicked and corrupt and deceptive? They'll lie to you and they don't care about God and they don't care about the Bible and they don't care about what's right. All they care about is what's good for them. Are y'all living in the same world I live in? I don't want my grandchildren to have to grow up in this world. You can't even watch TV anymore. We've lost any sense of decency. We are, it's gotten bad. You said you're a doom and gloom guy. No, I'm a guy that lives in this world and I've seen what's happened in 50 years, my 57 years. I'm telling you, it's gotten bad. It's bad. It, it wasn't always. I tell some people, it used to not be like, really? I said, yeah, it's gotten bad. And people don't care. So when God does what he will do as the righteous judge and will make men and women give an account for their lives, there will be no attorney there with a plea deal for them. Nope. They'll get exactly what they've wanted, what they told God. They've sh- people are shaking their fists in the face of God today. And when God pours his wrath out and during the revelation, t- during the tribulation, y'all, I mean, it's not like I want it to happen to people, but I'm just telling you, God, like he needs me to say this. I'm just saying in my mind, it's reconciled. God will be just when he does it. Now, let me talk about Israel. During the tribulation, something wonderful will happen to Israel. Israel will realize that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. In in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, and if you read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul takes those three chapters and actually talks about Israel. And what he makes clear, and it's been this way for 2,000 years, they're blinded. Back then, in the first century, they couldn't see Jesus. That's why they hung him on a cross. And 2,000 years later, they still don't see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior like you and I do. Isn't it amazing that we can see it clearer than a Jew can? Because Jesus was a Jew. There's a guy named Dennis Prager. And I I like Dennis Prager. And and I've actually got a book by Dennis Prager, a commentary. The guy's a radio host. He's got a thing called Prager University. If you want to, you can get free information about conservative principles, things along that nature. Things. The guy's a rabbi. He's a Jewish rabbi. He loves Christians. He loves Christians. He loves Christianity in the Bible. But I have heard him say he will not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He's blinded. But during the tribulation, the, the blinders will come off. And Israel will see that Jesus Christ is their, that, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. A vast number of Jews. In 1126, Paul predicts that all Israel will be saved. Now, that's, that's, all doesn't mean every person will be saved. Sometimes you, know, you say, everybody there got blessed. Well, maybe four, three or four people didn't get blessed. But, you know, what you're saying is the vast majority of people got blessed. So what he's saying is all of Israel will be saved. The, the vast number of people in the nation of Israel will come to Christ during the tribulation. Isn't that awesome? They're going to they're gonna get saved. And, and part of that is because there's a group called the 144,000 who are going to be instant. They're going to be people who get saved first, and then they're going to begin witnessing in Israel. And then there are these two witnesses that often we think may be Moses and Elijah who are going to come down from heaven, and they're going to stand in the streets, and they're going to witness. And, and the enemies, the Antichrist, are going to try to kill them. They can't kill them. They're protected by God, and they're going to witness to the nation of Israel, and all the world will see them. And then they will be killed, and their bodies will lay in the streets for three days, and then God's going to supernaturally resurrect them, and they're going to come back to life. And the Bible says all the world will see it. Well, back in 1973, if you read your Bible, you'd say, but there's no way that all the world could see them because We don't have any means to see what's going on around the world. But then this thing called CNN came along. 
and satellites. And now you got 24-hour newscasting through Fox and MSNBC and CNN and all these other organizations. And if that happened today, guess what? There'd be cameras there and it would be shot all over. See? 50 years ago, none of this can happen. 50 years later, oh yeah, it can happen. Yeah. Are you all with me? God's working. Just got to wait. Give him time. He's working. The tribulation will conclude with the battle of Armageddon. There will be a confluence of nations and their armies in the valley of Megiddo in Israel. And it's a vast valley, a vast plain. As a matter of fact, there have been a lot of battles through the centuries that have been fought in the valley of Megiddo. And they will come together with one purpose, and that is to destroy Israel once and for all. I don't even know how many millions of soldiers will be there in tanks and planes and whatever else. And the demise of Israel that day would be sealed except for one thing. At that moment, Jesus Christ and you and I will step over the battlements of glory and come down from the third heavens through the space-time of the, of, the, of, the, of the galaxy of the, he, of the second heavens and enter into the atmosphere of the first heavens and we will come down to Jerusalem riding on horses. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus Christ with the words of his mouth, we won't have to fire a gun, a howitzer. We won't have to use a drone. We won't have to use any technology. Just by the words of his mouth, the divine son of the living God will speak Death, defeat, demise, destruction, lose. He'll speak and those, those soldiers, the very life will be sucked out of them. They'll fall over dead. And those entire armies will be defeated in an instant. There is a passage of, of scripture in the Bible that, that, that troubles some scholars. They, they don't know what to figure. It's in the Old Testament. The picture that is painted looks like somebody that is being destroyed by the result of a nuclear bomb. Like something that happened when the atomic bombs were dropped in, in, in Japan. The, 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 what's described, well, people think, well, then that must be there, there's going to be some kind of nuclear armaments in the tribulation. No, not necessarily. Because... The, the word of the Lord is a fire. So I, I just think it's very possible when Jesus speaks that it can have the same impact as a nuclear bomb. You just won't have radiation and fallout. And those armies will be destroyed. Here's where it gets good. You've been listening, but you might want to shout. If you want to shout in this Pentecostal church, you go right ahead. But when every soldier is defeated and laying there dead and the only one left is the Antichrist and the false prophet, God will capture them both. Jesus will capture them both in an instant, hurl them into the lake of fire, which is the destiny of the devil and his angels. And his reign will be no more. Hallelujah. <laughs> and it gets better. And then an angel. People think the devil's so strong. Oh, well, he is compared to us because he's an angelic being. We're just human beings. But the Bible says an angel, an angel will chase him down and his hordes, his demonic hordes, and chain him up and bind him up. Little weasel, little snake. The great dragon will be a little salamander. And he'll be bound up and cast into a bottomless pit where he'll just fall and fall and fall and fall and fall. He said, I will raise my throne above the throne of God. What he finds out is you ain't going to raise nothing in the last day. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. You're just going to fall and fall and fall and live in a perpetual state of failure and falling and reminded that you thought you could beat God and you thought you could beat the people of God. But hey, you found out you're not greater than God and you can't raise your throne above the throne of God. You're nothing but a fall 
fallen angel and you've lost and the saints of God have won. My God, somebody give God praise in this house. The devil will be defeated. Praise God. And the tribulation period will be over. And what I want to preach next week is that Jesus Christ will go riding into the streets of Jerusalem as the conquering king to set up the national, the international capital of the world, Jerusalem. And there we will rule and reign with him. And sin will be eliminated. And the powers of sin will be wiped out and overcome. And then the righteousness of God will take over. And the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Can you imagine that day, what it's going to be like? I have purposed in this series that not only do I want to transmit information, but I want to be an, I want to be an evangelist. Someone may be sitting here thinking, I'm not getting saved. I don't want to get saved. But, oh, Pastor Chris, if you're right, then that means when the rapture takes place and I'm left behind, I'm going through the tribulation. Can I get saved during the tribulation? And the answer is yes. You can still get saved. They are called tribulation saints. You read about them in the book of Revelation. They're under the altar of God saying, how long, Lord, until you will avenge us? And he said, just hang on a little bit longer. Seven years will soon be over. Hang on. We are impatient people, aren't we? There's impatience even in the Bible. You can get saved. The day the rapture takes place, if you let me remind you, I preach this, this church will be filled. If the doors are locked, they'll just drive a car through the front gate, the doors, knock them down, and people, this, this building will be packed, and people will be on their knees screaming and crying for God to forgive them. And if they mean it, God will save them. But the image that is painted in the Bible is that it will be unbelievably difficult to live for the Lord during the tribulation. As a matter of fact, the picture that we're given is that most of the tribulation saints are martyred for their faith. So I put in red letters in my notes. Do you think you could take a stand for Jesus during the tribulation? And then I have another line in red. Would you be willing to lay down your life for Jesus and let him cut off your head or put you in front of a firing squad? Could you stand there and say, yes, I'm one of his. I'll not deny him as seven rifles are pointed at your chest. Could you do it? I wonder. You don't want to go through the tribulation. And that's the glory of the, of the rapture and the resurrection. We are not destined to go through the tribulation. You don't want to wait until the tribulation to be saved. There is one verse of, of, of scripture, and I'm closing. Musicians, quickly, quickly come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There is a danger. It is a gamble. When you put salvation off and kick the can down the road when the Holy Spirit is convicting you, as if you're in control. But I've tried to teach you through the years, you don't get saved when you're good and ready. You get saved when God is good and ready. So what I want to say to those who are in this auditorium and those of you watching online, it's coming. The rapture's coming. The resurrection's coming. The tribulation is coming. 
there's not a thing you can do about it except one. And that's repent of your sins and yield your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him save you and change you and wash you. Let go of your love for this world and fall in love with the Jesus who wants to save you and wash your sins away and make you right. I don't know, Pastor Man, there's a lot of things I want to do. But listen, you can do you can do. That's what I tried to teach you. The book of Ecclesiastes says there's a lot you can do. You got to work. Eat, drink, enjoy the fruit of your labor. I, Pastor, I want to go, but I like to go camping. Well, go camping. Christians go camping? I know. Because some Sundays they're not here. I hope it rains that Sunday morning. if I get saved my whole life's just going to be no it's not I got a boat I go fishing I got a wife by the way I wanted to do this happy anniversary baby 35 years today and I love you children I got grandchildren it's not not that God's going to make your life miserable but that's not why you get saved but if that's stopping you from getting saved because you think somehow God's just going to make your life miserable you got it all wrong we're the happiest people in the world we laugh uncontrollably and we never drink a drop we don't shoot up anything we don't have to because we got the joy of the Lord He will change your life and you will have a relationship with God and that's what you're designed for. I just just feel like I'm unfulfilled. You are. Make all the money. You'll, You'll want a little bit more. Buy land. You'll have to have another piece of property. Expand your portfolio. You'll have to add another account. You'll never, it's it never satisfies. But you get saved and you move from happiness to contentment. Do you know that people can be happy but not content? But when you're content, you're always happy. And when I got saved, I find I may not always be happy. Now there's sometimes you're not happy because there's some things you don't like, but I'm content and I have joy because I have the Lord and if I got Jesus what more do I need he came to restore your relationship with him to remove the sin and make you right with God that's the starting point all that other stuff is fluff but what matters the most is to embrace him as the savior of your soul you need deliverance from sin So I want to ask everybody to stand with me this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask a question, then I want to lead in a prayer. Is there anyone today who will raise their hand with no one looking around that you will will let me know? Let me know. Come on, work with me here. Let me know, Pastor Chris, I want to get saved. I want to get saved today. Throw your hand up high. God bless you. Thank you. Both of you in the front there, God bless you. Put your hands down. Anybody else? Yes, in the back. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? I want to get saved. Throw your hand up high. I appreciate honesty. See, that's what, to me, I love that. It's commendable. think a lot more of you. Yes, I see both hands in the back. Thank you. You can put your hands on my left, your right. God bless you. Anybody else? You got to throw it high because I get these bright lights in my head like an airplane's coming at me. Anybody else? I'm not going to labor this. I can help you. More importantly, Jesus will help you. 
I found this works, that we will all pray a prayer that we call the sinner's prayer. We've all prayed it. All of us who are saved, we've prayed it. We want to help you pray it. And what we'll do is we'll all pray it together. How about that? And for those of you who raised your hands, you pray it too, but you talk to God when you're doing it. You direct it towards the Lord and you have faith and you lean on His grace. God's dealing with you right now. I believe that. And you pray that prayer. And I'm telling you, if you'll pray this prayer, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I've told the story about a man named Dwight. He's gone on to glory, but he was sitting right over here one Sunday. And he wasn't right with God. And we were saying the sinner's prayer. And so he was just doing it because everybody else was doing it. And halfway through, he realized... I need to get saved. And the rest of the prayer, he meant it. And that day, God saved him and changed his life. The funny part of the story is he didn't tell his wife till three days later. He knew God had changed him. And she said, honey, why didn't you tell me? He said, I wanted to make sure it took. And it took. And I preached his funeral. And that man's in glory. Excuse me, this Pentecostal's feeling Pentecostal. I just felt the Holy Ghost tell somebody right now, if you'll just pray this prayer and believe, God said he'll save your soul. Come on, everybody pray with me. Dear Jesus, oh, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. You know it and I know it. I can't live this way anymore. I want to be right with you. I want to be a right person. I want to be your child. I'm so sorry for my sins. Please forgive me, God. Please forgive me. Take all my sins away. Wash me and cleanse me. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe Jesus rose again. I accept him as my Savior. Come into my heart. I repent of my sins. I'm turning from my sins. From this day on, by your help, I'm going to live right. Right now. Come on, y'all. I feel the Holy Ghost. I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. My life is yours. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me from all my sins. Thank you for saving me today. Thank you for coming into my heart and into my life. Come on, say this. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I'm saved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Every head up, every eye open. Come on, church. Clap your hands and let's celebrate. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.